The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pa to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 14 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Good Friday to you all, and welcome to a new America. Whether this is the America you've been waiting for, or it is the America you've never dreamed of, (laughs) we are entering a new period in uh, the time of our democratic country. For some, this is a relief, and for others like me and many of my artist friends, we look around in fear of losing our rights, our insurance, our endowment to help us create our art, and so much more. I've definitely had an interesting week that has included much more than just teaching at Broadway Dance Center. Remember, Fridays at 6 p.m. if you want to (laughs) come. I taught at Crash Dance Company, I worked on Youth America Grand Prix solos, and I taught at a a handful of other schools. Um, But I started this past week... uh, before I, I casted my new ballet for Columbia Ballet Collaborative uh, at Columbia University, attending the Women's March in New York City. I am not one to join massive groups or protests. I'm generally turned off by groups groups chanting or praying, and I definitely don't do well with following the crowd. <laughs> but there was an electric buzz that was emanating from points of energy from city to city across the entire world last Saturday. And it was palpable, and whether acknowledged or not, it was impossible to be ignored or silenced. It was definitely an altering experience for me and so many people across the country. It was proof that our voices can't be silenced. So, with inspiration from that, and to bring all of you listeners who prefer shorter episodes <laughs> from our two longer ballet techniques, uh, ballet technique uncovered episodes of the past few weeks, today I am going to briefly chat about using your voice in your art. Now, when I say using your voice in your art, I don't mean that you necessarily have to talk while you are dancing around the stage. Though you can do what you wish. But what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that art has always been an echo of the challenges and the successes and also the questions of the times that we have lived in, are living in, and will live in. Even if you look back into historical times, say medieval Europe or the Dark Ages or the Renaissance, you name it, you can find artwork that spoke to the state of being of those times. For instance, there were periods that spoke heavily to the influence of Christianity in the lives of certain people, where most artwork depicted Jesus Christ or some holy scene. Or, if we even take it as far back as prehistoric artwork, we can often see the importance of fertility in these people's societies or uh, 
find scenes of hunts for animals that provided food, energy, and life to prehistoric people. Um, you can find, I've seen cave paintings on walls in both Mexico and also in Jerusalem. Um, and yeah, it's, this is what was important to these people. So, uh, they, they painted or they carved or they made statues, things like that. Of course, we have evolved greatly since these times, but the inspiration for ideas behind our art, our art, 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 our art, definitely remains the same. We are well beyond our days crawling the land as hunter-gatherers. Plus, we have evolved into a world that is more connected and diverse than it ever has been before. This is often apparent in the art that we create. You can see what is relevant and important to a society through the subject matter that inspires artists to create. How does this relate into dance? Okay, so let's discuss this. Yes, some choreographers choose to create plotless works or to create a study in their reaction to the music that they are, are listening to to develop movement. But I often see these pieces, while sometimes inspiring and intriguing uh, and thought-provoking, uh, as, as the equivalent to an, an etude on the piano. I was actually talking about etudes with my with my uh, students at Greenwich Ballet Academy today in their contemporary classes. <laughs> Bringing it all around. Uh, so in etude, these works are studies and practices, practice exercises that can sometimes hold up as pieces on their own. But they are rarely the masterpieces with great staying power that speak to the time, politics, and era that they, they were created in. For example, you can see this in musical works like, uh, say, Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture, which was inspired by Napoleon's attempt to take over Russia, or Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, uh, which he, he didn't create during this time, but he was inspired by this the, the stories of this time. Uh, but yeah, it, this work was, it was created from the idea of ancient societies uh, having an annual human sacrifice uh, to offer the earth so that they could get out of their cold, barren winter. And if they, they had this person sacrifice and put them into the ground, that it would bring spring back to earth and they could get warmth and food would, would be able to be planted to be harvested and all of that. These masterpieces were inspired by both war and social actions that were relevant at one time throughout the evolution of mankind, and they remain relevant beyond their prodigious creator's time because they are auditory reactions to society. Now, in dance, we see this as well. Martha Graham is most famous for her work Appalachian Spring, which explored American frontier life. And at the same time, we have an amazing masterwork by George Balanchine, Symphony in Three Movements, where... Well, he has never been quoted as saying exactly what the true story uh, behind this ballet was, what his inspiration for this work was. Uh, it's actually been shared a lot by repetitors that uh, it supposedly was inspired by the, the beginning of World War II. Uh, if, you, if you see this work at the beginning of it, there is a long line of women in white leotards with long ponytails. And the first thing that they do at that very first strike of the conductor's baton is their their left arm is up in a an arabesque a high arabesque arm and then their the right arm it swings really fast and joins that arm and they're both up um and this is said to evoke the starting up of the 
propellers of warplanes during World War II. And the ominous, almost explosiveness of the work continues all the way until the end, where the music screams at the audience in a minor chord as the cast hits the poses that resemble one who might be directing those planes where they would take off or land. And the men are lunging deep down to the ground, which looks like they are ready for takeoff. You also see a lot of inspiration for what's happening in society in more contemporary or modern Israeli dance. Uh, I believe actually next week, uh, February 1st, they are, I've talked about this already, which, but I'm going to keep on talking about it because I can't wait to see it. But they are releasing a documentary on Ohad Naharin, uh, and it's called Mr. Gaga. And if you see a lot of his work, he's Israeli, and you can see that there's so much passion in in the works that he creates, and there's also clearly some uh, some political statements in there and societal statements in there, uh, because Israel it's it's a country that's been at war for quite some time, and many people have have been killed in that that country throughout this war um and if you see the preview for this mr gaga film on i've seen on youtube um or you can probably just google it but if you see it there's a scene where uh i'm assuming his lover is laying in bed crying and you hear mr naharin stating that uh to mourn and to dance are not too far apart so, you, you see these ideas all all over the place. Today, we exist in a political atmosphere of uncertainty. I've said this to friends before, but never expressed it on one of my public platforms. I, I truly believe that when we look back into the history books years from now, uh, if we go back to September 11, 2001, and then forward to about 2014, that we will be calling this this period in the United States the, the Dark Age of the, of the U.S. We lived in constant fear of terrorist attacks. We were at war. We experienced the worst economic crash since the Great Depression, and we began to lose trust in our government. If you look at the the new creations, the new works that dance makers were were creating throughout that time, so many contemporary dance works were dark, sad, fearful, haunting, and sometimes downright morose. I've read reviews where dance critics are asking, where are all of the happy creations? Why do contemporary choreographers always make darker pieces? And for me, it makes sense that many of today's works have that darker feel to them, considering many of us dance makers began making work during more difficult, darker times in our country. In the past few years, things have seemed to brighten up a bit, so I have seen some lighter works, but I'll be curious to see what happens over the next couple of years. As we enter this age of uncertainty, where minorities and marginalized people fear the politics and leadership of an inexperienced demagogue president and a conservative-run government, I imagine we will begin to recognize this in our art as well. And rightfully so, as there is discussion today about ceasing operation of the ever-important National Endowment for the Arts. As artists, it is not only important, but utterly essential that we continue to create our work in response to the times, challenges, and successes that we experience. Uh, 
We fight for our art by creating our art, and we create art to inspire. And if we use our voice to tell our story or share our artistic open-minded perspective, perhaps we can offer awareness and empathy to those who come to see us dance and those who watch our works that don't necessarily understand why it is so important to support the arts on a national scale. As dance artists, while we rarely talk on stage, we do still have an impacting voice in our communities. Everybody doesn't necessarily have access to expressing themselves well with words. But through movement and body language, it is often easier to connect and share with one another. As I've said before, we could move before we could talk. So don't be afraid to dig deep and present work that may be considered challenging to your audience. Use your voice to stand up for your rights, to tell your story, to impart empathy, to shock, to soothe, to speak loudly than you have ever before. For if we feel reluctant in doing so, we will be doing ourselves and our art a disservice. And like I was trying to say earlier, some of the best masterworks are true expressions of the time that their creator was living in. And sometimes, like with Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, the works weren't accepted right away. He had to crawl out of a window in the opera house that premiered the Rite of Spring as the audience rioted, rioted on the inside. So, if you have been feeling disheartened, if you have been feeling proud and excited, if you are fearful of what's to come, or you need to make someone aware of a social issue, I urge you to make art. Do your research, fine-tune your product, and don't be afraid to say something with your work. I will leave you with those parting words. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod Chat, Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycarollis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcasts or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoy listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcasts on the Premier Dance Network. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Corollis, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blog, Life of a Freelance Dancer, where I've been writing about working as a freelance artist for over four years. I also have two YouTube channels, B. Corollis, featuring my choreography, and Core-ography, featuring my choreographic web series that tells the life-defining stories of professional dancers through revealing interviews and choreography. Thanks for listening in to Pod of Chat. I hope you return next Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.